And the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So next week is Mother's Day. And uh, to help us think about that, uh, I have some questions. So I'm going to invite you to talk to the people near you about these questions. So the first one is, how would you describe a family? What is a family? When you hear the word family, what's, what does that bring up for you? Uh, the second question is, what is the role of mothers in families? So uh, from your best experience, maybe from your worst experience, what role do mothers play in families? And then the third question is, what do families offers, offer us and what do we offer families? So, three questions to get us going this morning. If you'd like to turn around, chat to your neighbour, and I'll call you back together in a few minutes and we'll see how you got on. Alright, see how you get on. So, families, how would you describe families? Blood relations? Uh, not, all, not always necessarily staying together. Right. So, relations, but not always staying together? A tight unit. A tight unit, yep. Can be. Any other ideas? Mum and dad. Mum and dad? Okay, yep. Right. And so, so the, are a group that it's right. So it's an evolving group. It's changing. It used to be mum and dad and some kids, but now it's it's not. Yeah. And I, I mean, we kind of think that was recent. But I did a thing in a youth group, a session in a youth group in Levin nearly 30 years ago about families, and I just assumed that they all came from uh, families with their mum and their dad and their brothers and sisters. And I discovered in a room of 10 or 12. That one in that room came from that kind of family and all the others came from all kinds of other kinds of families. So I just assumed that because they were in church, they were from that kind of family, but they weren't. And that was really surprising for me. And that was 30 years ago. So it's, it's even more different now. Have you seen that on the, on the um, channel where the child is going to draw up a card for Father's Day and he didn't have one? Mm-hmm. So he gave the card to his mother and wished her a happy Father's Day. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, recent. you know, there's a lot of young people in that situation. So, what about the role of mothers and families? The glue? Yeah, I was reflecting on how both Bonnie's mother and my mother were the ones who kept us all in contact with each other. We didn't need to ring up our brothers and sisters because mum had told us that. And then once the mothers were no longer functioning in that way, it's like, oh, well, how are we going to find out how our brothers and sisters are going? Who's going to do that? So, so yeah, they're the glue that hold us together. What else? Months ago, our daughter was home and she said, Mum, do you realise now that you're the hierarchy? <laughs> the hierarchy? <laughs> the home. The hub. Yeah, the hub. What else would you describe? 
I heard lots of words being used for mothers in your conversations. Yeah. What were some other ones? There's a listening ear right through their lives. Yep. Disciplinarian. Disciplinarian. Although the ultimate disciplinarian was always dad in my house. You just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> I was quite happy to wait till my father got home. <laughs> the nurturer? The encourager? The counselor? The healer? Yeah. So I'll leave the, we'll leave the third question, but you can continue to think about that and, and those questions and, and maybe what other answers there are to them. Uh, during the week, I went to a, a Ministers' Association meeting, and um, oh, you can just leave it on those questions for now. And uh, during the course of the conversation, one of the pastors said that families are the primary image for the kingdom of God, which I thought was a really interesting comment, partly because... Well, I wondered what he meant by families, and my suspicion was, I think he meant mum, dad, and their kids, because as I looked, looked around the table, um, like all us good Christian pastors, that's basically what the family set up that we come from, and the assumption is in our churches that's what it's all about. But as we've seen, that for the wider New Zealand society, that doesn't hold true, and hasn't held true for a long time. And actually in our early days didn't hold true either. Fathers were absent often. Um, they would come, they would uh, get married, they'd start having a family, and then they would disappear. It was a, it was a real social problem in New Zealand uh, in the 1800s. So, um, so I kind of was interested from what do you mean by families, but also um, how does that image of families of mum and dad and the kids match with what the Bible would describe as a family. And, well, if you went to biblical times and said that a family is mum, dad, and some kids, they would just look at you and go, what are you talking about? Where's everyone else? Because in biblical times, a family was mum, dad, and some kids, and then the, the father's brothers and his wives and all their kids, and the father's parents, and maybe the father's parents' brothers and all their family, and if they're still alive, the father's father's parents. And that was a family. And they would live together in one place. And their lives revolved around that group. And I guess the closest we've got to that in this country is uh, within Māori society, Fano and Hapu. Uh, and like with Fano and Hapu, uh, those families in Jesus' time provided your primary source of identity. Your family defined who you were and what your place in life was. And we can see that happening still in traditional societies in the Middle East and, and around the world today. If you go uh, and give a pepeha in a Māori setting, you start by saying who, what your mountain is and what your river is and what your uh, sea is. And then you will say what your waka is. So that's the, the broad group of people that your ancestors come from. And then your iwi. And then your hapu. And your hapu is that much bigger extended family. You are all related within that hapu. And that means you then say where your marae is. So that situates you in a particular place with a particular group of people. And then you describe 
your grandparents and your parents and where you are in your family. And your identity then comes from all of those relationships. And everyone who's listening to you can then go, oh, well, I'm related to you through these people or I can see how you and I are connected. It establishes connections. And it was just the same in Jesus' time. The family provided that sense of identity. And your first loyalty was to that family. So those were the people that you would defend. The family's honour, the mana of the family was all important. And if that was ever lessened, then it was your job to reclaim that honour. And that's still true today in the Middle East. So we have stories of honour killings when particularly young women don't do what the family do and her actions are seen as bringing dishonour or shame on the family. So the only way that that honour can be re- replaced is if she dies, which is horrific. But that's what that's about. The, the family is all important. And if anything happens to anyone in the family, then it's your obligation as a member of that family to help them. Now, all of that sounds very good. And you would think that Jesus would have been a big fan of that. But actually, Jesus wasn't a big fan of that. Because the problem with that is that it's very inward-looking. And you could be very loyal to your family, and you could see that it was your duty to help your members of your family and those who were associated with your family. But anyone who wasn't in that category, well, you didn't have to even see them. They were of no importance, and you didn't need to render them any care or concern at all. And we can see that at play in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when a lawyer, a man, I can't remember if it was a lawyer, comes, sees Jesus and says, what do I need to do? Like We often forget where the story comes from. But a man comes to see Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does Moses say? And the man says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, great answer, go away and do that. But the man's not very happy with that answer, like he's now looking a little bit silly. So he says, well, who is my neighbour? And when he asks that question, he is expecting a very specific answer. And everyone who is listening to that story is expecting a very specific answer. And the answer is, your family and those who are associated with it. And Jesus goes, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho who gets mugged, and who's the hero of the story? A Samaritan, who would not be on anyone's list of possible neighbours. He is the one who acts as a neighbour. And that is a, a frontal assault on that notion of Family and those you are, who are associated with the family being the ones who are your neighbours that you should care for. So to say that families are the primary image of the kingdom of God, well, Jesus would not be a big fan of that statement. It's not very biblical, which is kind of interesting given how often conservative Christians talk about the family being so important. So what was Jesus offering instead? Well, that brings us to today's reading. So Jesus, in Jesus' time there were a number of relationships. So the family relationship was all important. And then 
around that, there were some other relationships. So another one was the patron-client relationship. So probably the, the more modern-day version of that would be a mafia don and all the people who uh, come under his wing. And those people he supports and he does favours for, but there's always a payback. And when the don asks for the payback, you have to provide it. So same in Jesus' time, if you were a poorer person, you would try to get under a patron. They would make sure that you stayed alive, uh, that you could feed your family. But when there was a payback needed, you had to perform that payback. So the patron-client, that was a pretty common relationship. There was the servant-slave relationship with the master. And there was also the disciple-teacher-rabbi relationship. And that's the relationship that was at play with Jesus and his disciples. So we kind of think of them with Jesus the teacher and them the students, and they kind of meet for regular sessions and he teaches them and that's all good. But actually, the role of the disciple was to live with the rabbi. So they ate with them and they slept with them. Even some sources said they went to the toilet with them, like it was 24-7. And the role of that was that you didn't just learn what the rabbi had to teach, you learned how to live it. So yes, memorizing and learning what your rabbi taught was important, but far more important was how you lived it out in your daily life. So as you were a disciple, you learned how to live everything that your rabbi taught. And the disciples, well, they spent three years with Jesus all around him every second of the day learning how Jesus lived. We've got kind of snapshots of his teaching. They were immersed in it. And the reading we had today is at the end of this, of this immersion. Jesus has gathered his disciples together. He knows he's about to be arrested and he knows that he's about to be crucified. He's about to die this horrific death. And I think his fear is that this death is going to be so traumatic and so shocking that it's going to kind of unlearn everything that they've had, that they've learnt over the last three years. And the temptation will be for them to go home to their families and to start life as they had before. And Jesus was trying to do something entirely different. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a clue to that. He was trying to say that we should be caring for everyone because God cares for everyone. And he lived it out by the meals he had with all the people who weren't on anyone's list of neighbours. He honoured and blessed them every time he did that. That's, in Luke's Gospel, what got him into trouble. Because he was honouring and blessing the wrong people. The social structure of these are my neighbours, these are the people I care for, these are the in people, was being seriously disrupted by what Jesus was teaching and more importantly doing. He was trying to get his disciples to do something entirely different. So last week in this, well, when the disciples first gather, he does something outrageous, doesn't he? He washes their feet. No rabbi ever washes his disciples' feet. They might wash his feet, but he would never wash their feet. But he washed their feet. And then last week, as we heard, he talked about how he was the vine and they were the branches and they were to abide in him. 
God's love was to be the sap, the lifeblood that flowed from him through them. And then this week, we have the continuation of what he said last week. So it's all one passage and it carries on for a few more chapters yet. And he talks, he begins by saying, abide in my love. And then he calls his disciples friends. You are no longer my servants. You are no longer my disciples. He doesn't say that, but it's implied. You are my friends. So this is a whole new category of relationship. And we miss that. We think, oh, that's nice. Jesus called them, called us his friends. But actually Jesus is doing something radically new here. You are my friends. And what does it mean to be a friend? Well, he's already demonstrated that when he washed their feet. I wash your feet. You wash my feet. You wash each other's feet. You are equals in this. And you're in this together. You are this new group of people, not a family. Jesus never called them a family. The idea of the church being a family is not a particularly biblical concept. He called them friends. And those friends were to be this new social grouping that was utterly committed to each other, but in their commitment, God could work through them to offer that commitment and love to the wider society, to the people that lived around the outside, particularly the people that lived on the fringes. Well, that brings us to Mother's Day, doesn't it? How might we describe that love? Well, for a long time, our images of God have been very masculine, and we've tried to use masculine ideas about God and God's love to describe that love. But luckily for us, over the last 50 or so years, we've had a rise of feminist authors, people who have read the Bible and said, do you know what? There's a whole lot of women in this Bible. There are stories about them, which we don't often hear about in church. How about we pay some attention to them? And they said, do you know what? All the images in the Bible aren't masculine. There are a whole lot of feminine images in there as well. Well, not a whole lot, but there's a few. What happens when we pay attention to them? I mean, Jesus talks about God as mother. So why don't we pay attention to that? And so there's a whole raft of literature that's come out of that. And it's not a new way of thinking. Julian of Norwich, if you read her stuff from the 14th century constantly talked about God and Jesus as mother. So, it's that's just new. It's not. It's old. And it's in the Bible, so it's really old. So what happens when we think about God as our mother and think about the love of God in the same way that we think about our mother's love or the, the love that we offered as mothers? How does that change how we think about what this love is that is supposed to flow through us If we abide in the vine and God's love is the sap that runs through us. That's what Jesus was offering his disciples. A new way of seeing a social grouping, a new way of understanding their place in the world. A new way that was actually based on the prophets. A new way which was actually going back to what the prophets said in the beginning. So as we go through this week and get ready for Mother's Day next week, I invite you to think about that. God as our mother. 
How do we abide in the love of God, our mother? And how do we live that out? Supporting each other as friends in such a way that the world is changed by God, the mother's love. Some thoughts to think about. Oh, yeah, that should be enough. So we're not going to say a creed because it's all so masculine and we're just going to pause for a moment and uh, think about some of these things and then we'll have some prayers. If you want to, you can talk to your neighbours or you can sit in quiet. It's up to you.